Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. and welcome back to Story Quieter's Stories of COVID-19 series. I'm your host, Erin Barker. I hope you enjoyed Sam's story over the break. Whenever we take a break from our series, we'll be sharing one-off stories that we loved, like Sam's. Today, we're bringing you part one of episode seven on the theme of home. Since last March, home has become pretty much everything to everybody. It's our home, but it's also our office, our school, our gym, our restaurant, our church, the venue for every concert and show that we watch on livestream. It's no wonder that items like office furniture and Nintendo Switch consoles sold out early in the pandemic as we all tried to maximize the potential of our homes and make them everything that we need them to be. In the summer, you couldn't get an inflatable kiddie pool around here anywhere for love or money. Even beyond all of this, of course, the people in our homes have become our entire non-Zoom social circles in many cases. Relationships with people we cohabitate with are suddenly intensified and fraught, but also more essential than ever. In this episode, we're going to explore some of these ideas. And today, in part one, we'll hear our first story on this theme. And then we'll talk to Yiling Liu, a journalist based in China, about how home life has changed for folks in China post-COVID. Our first story is from psychologist and StoryClider board member Ali Matu. It was recorded at his home in San Francisco, California. When people find out I'm from California, they ask me about the great outdoors. Yosemite, Joshua Tree, surfing on the Pacific Coast. I'm not that kind of person. I was always an indoor kid, most comfortable playing Street Fighter, playing with some new technology, and putting together a Star Trek model kit. It just felt more comfortable being at home. I was safe, secure, like I could do whatever I wanted to do. There were some times when I went outside, and it was usually to Burger King where I would take advantage of this limited time 99 cent special for the Whopper. I ended up getting a lot of Whoppers because that limited time special lasted for many, many years. My dad was really worried about me, not because of the Whoppers. He was worried I didn't have any dreams or ambitions because I was always just at home. He was worried I wouldn't graduate from high school. And he told me this the day I graduated from high school. So I did okay, but I'm just now beginning to understand what was going on in his head because now I'm a dad. I have this three-year-old daughter who I love completely 
but I'm also always worried about her because she's nothing like me at all. I'm not the only one who says that. My parents love to comment on how much energy she has and how she's always moving around like the Tasmanian devil. And that really resonates with me because my wife and I try to clean up every night after the whole mess of the day and our home looks like a complete disaster. And then she wakes up and the whole cycle starts all over again. My parents say I was just happy being plopped down in one spot. And I didn't really make a mess. I didn't really have all this energy. I didn't really do any of these things that my daughter does. The only time my daughter reminds me of myself is when she's pissed off. She furrows her brow and her forehead becomes really pronounced. The look on her face is exactly the look I have when I'm upset. Do you realize how weird it is to only see yourself reflected in your child when they're pissed off? That's what it's like to be a parent. It's trying to figure out how to raise someone who's related to you, maybe looks like you, but is nothing like you on the inside. One of the things I've learned is she's very much an outdoor kid. I need to take her outside on a daily basis. It helps her to work out all of her energy. Sure, we do indoor stuff like singing along to musicals. She's super into lions right now, so we watch Lion King all the time. The animated one, I should say, not the fake live-action one, though we love the Broadway version whenever we can find a good clip of it on YouTube. She even has a little lion named Lion. I argued it should be named Lionel, but she quickly vetoed that. So Lion comes with us everywhere whenever we do outdoor stuff. We go to the zoo. We go to the beach. We reenact scenes from The Lion King. It's actually been pretty awesome to expose her to the outdoors because... It makes indoor life so much more manageable when we get back home. But then the coronavirus hit. And we couldn't go outdoors. We were stuck inside. We lost that choice. And in some ways, all of my dreams have come true because now everyone's an indoor kid. Turns out it's not so cool to be an indoor kid when it's forced upon you. Now when I look at my daughter, I see myself reflected back all the time. She's not well. I mean, she's healthy, and my immediate family has so far been spared in this pandemic, but I can tell she's not mentally well. She spends hours and hours watching TV while my wife and I are trying to meet the completely unrealistic demands of working from home during this pandemic. It usually gets to a point every day when she says, I don't want to watch TV anymore, Daddy. I mean, can you imagine that? Living in a world where you have access to all the media all the time and you can watch it as much as you want and you get to a point where you're bored of it. I mean, that was like my dream as a kid. 
she just doesn't really understand what's happening in the world. She gets bored of screens and wants to go to the playground. She wants to go back to the zoo. She wants to visit her cousins, but she can't, and she doesn't understand why. Being a parent right now feels like trench warfare. I'm showing up every day to fight this battle, and there's no progress at all. There's no hope that this conflict is going to come to an end, and supplies are running low, as is morale. Every night I go to bed knowing I'm going to fight the exact same battle the next day. I've been looking for some type of escape from parenting in a pandemic, and being in California, we have a lot of open space. So what I've been doing is taking my daughter to these big outdoor state parks, where it's so easy to socially distance from each other, and my daughter loves it because she gets to run around, work out some energy, she gets a snack, and I love it because by the time we get back to the car, she falls asleep. And I can shoot off a few emails, feel like I'm a little productive, and then just goof off on TikTok for a while. And for a brief moment, I forget that I'm a parent who's parenting in the middle of a pandemic. This one day, we're going to one of our favorite parks, and I make the genius decision to let Apple Maps guide me instead of Google Maps. Now, what's the difference? Well, one is a beautiful app that seamlessly integrates across this ecosystem of devices and has this wonderfully soothing voice. The other actually gets you to where you want to be efficiently and accurately. Our destination is at the base of this large mountain, and for some reason, Apple Maps decides to take us around the mountain, through this giant canyon, uphill to a secluded rear entrance that I didn't even know existed. We get out, and I'm like, this is great. We're the only ones here. As an indoor kid, I always feel safe when there aren't a lot of other people around. But in coronavirus times, it feels even more comfortable being all alone. You can breathe this sigh of relief because you don't have to be as on guard as you usually have to. We walk into this trail with a giant mountain on one side of us and this massive canyon on the other. About 10 minutes in, my daughter points to a sign and says, lions. I'm like, okay, well, she says that about everything. She sees lions everywhere. Most four-legged animals are lions to her. And she's also carrying lion and randomly starts up conversations with lion all the time. But I look at the sign and in big letters up top, it says, Mountain Lions Live Here. I keep reading, and apparently this whole environment has a ton of mountain lions in it. It also says, stay safe, travel in large groups, and make lots of loud sounds. Now I get anxious because it's just me and my daughter. And even though I saw a couple of other cars in the parking lot, I haven't seen anyone else on this trail. 
At the end of the sign, it says, Mountain lions like to eat little kids. Now, it probably didn't say it in those words, but that's how my mind understood it. My heart's racing. I feel sweat on my forehead. I'm panicking because from the moment we entered this park, I've been hearing a rustling in the bushes all around us. My indoor kid mind thought that sound must have been squirrels. That's the animal I'm most used to seeing outside. Now I'm imagining a pack of hungry mountain lions. I grab my daughter and say, we're going to play this game. We're going to walk back to the car and we're going to sing a song really loud. She asks, what song are we going to sing, Daddy? And I respond with the first thing that pops into my head. Akuna Matata. I put her on my shoulder so we appear bigger and start screaming as loud as we can. Akuna Matata, what a wonderful phrase. Akuna Matata, ain't no passing craze. Hopefully that kept both the lions at bay and my daughter sufficiently relaxed from what I thought was our impending doom. We're totally fine. Obviously, I'm here with you and didn't get eaten that day. My daughter is also alive and totally good. I don't know if those are actually mountain lions, but for a long time, we stopped going outside and our home started to look more like a disaster. And my daughter looked even more unwell. And that's how I felt, too. So I realized I need to do something about this. I need to face my fears of the outdoors. While I've never gone back to that park, I've also never used Apple Maps again, but I have gone to other parks and I am now seeing those warning signs all over the place. So one day, I go to this park by this reservoir, and my daughter is playing near this bush. I see these three leaves that resemble something I saw on the sign as we entered this park. I take a picture and text it to my friend Lowen, who's the biggest outdoor kid I know, and ask him, is this poison oak? He immediately responds and says, dude, not only is this poison oak, but you have spotted poison oak during a season where almost everything looks like poison oak. Nicely done. I tell my daughter, you can't play there. It's not safe. You'll get a boo-boo and it'll be really itchy. She backs up and finds some sticks and rocks to play with and everything's fine. And I feel so proud because for the first time in a very long time, I have a win. And it feels so good to win at something. Thank you. That was Ali Matu. 
Ali is a psychologist who spent a decade treating panic disorder, social anxiety disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, OCD, and others. He has created over 150 videos for his YouTube channel, The Psych Show, which has been seen over 2.8 million times. He's the co-host of PBS's Self-Evident and an expert on Netflix and Fox's The Mind Explained Anxiety. You may have also seen him in HBO's Doctor Commentaries, A&E's The Employables, or being interviewed by The New York Times, appearing on BuzzFeed, MTV, HBO, and more. And you can check out his new mental health startup at loop.co. Before we move on to our interview segment, I want to give just a quick reminder once again that you can catch more of the true personal stories about science that you love at our online live shows. Find out more about those at storyclider.org. They are typically every Friday. We have a local Chicago show coming up as well as a local Boston show. You can also find out more about our online storytelling workshops at storyclider.org. Signups are now open for February. Every month we're offering an intro course and then an advanced workshop course where you can really delve deep into your stories. I'm really excited about it. Once again, you can find out more about those at storyclider.org. And now feels like a good time to mention that if you're listening to the series thinking that you have a story about how the pandemic has affected you in a big or small way, get in touch. You can send your story pitches to stories at storyclider.org. You can pitch through the form on our website. We're currently working on our next series of COVID-19 stories, and we would love to work with you on yours. Specifically, we're really looking for stories from athletes, stories from researchers whose research was interrupted or taken in a different direction post-COVID, or folks who have encountered opposition to COVID precautions. If you have a story about any of those things, we would especially love to hear from you. Send your pitches to stories at storyclider.org. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. So these days, the thing that I can't stop thinking about is what is it going to be like after? Once everything is reopened, once a significant portion of the population is vaccinated, by the time we're all back out in the world, how will families have changed? How will our home lives have changed? How will all of our relationships have changed? I thought maybe the best way to get a sneak peek at that would be to talk to a journalist who wrote about some of these changes in a country that has already begun reopening. So. To talk about how families are changing as a result of this pandemic, I'm excited to welcome Yiling Liu, a journalist whose work on Chinese society, technology, and internet culture has been published in the New York Times Magazine, Harper's Magazine, Wired, and many other places, including the BBC, where I came across her recent article about post-COVID life in China and the lasting impacts that this pandemic has had on relationships there. Uh, so to start out, Yiling, oh, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks for having me here. I wonder if you could tell me what life is like in China right now in terms of being back to normal. It really feels like there has been a reversion back to kind of pre-pandemic life. I mean, everyone uh, is still wearing masks, but they do very much feel like an aesthetic choice. Um, and the way... Uh, 
people kind of feel, I guess, safe is that there everyone has um, a health code. So you have like a QR code on your phone. And though the rules have been relaxed a little bit, um, whenever you kind of enter a building and or take a flight or a train, you have to show that that health code, um, which kind of determines that you are COVID negative. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's a strange time to be here. <laughs> it, it definitely feels very weird. Yeah, it's a strange time to be everywhere. <laughs> yeah. But I'm really interested in the fact that life is getting in, in some ways back to normal mm-hmm. in China because I think we're all sort of wondering what's ahead for us. Yeah. And so could you tell me, you know, what have the trends been like? Let's start out with maybe marriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How mm-hmm. have marriages fared over the course of the pandemic in China? Yeah, I mean, I think all relationships have, you know, uh, come under a huge strain, but particularly mm-hmm. our spousal ones. Um, like everywhere else in the world, and since China was the first end of the pandemic, there is a huge spike in divorce rates. Um, and so in, I want to say in March in Xi'an, um, a city in, uh, Shanxi province, there is a huge, uh, kind of what they call the Xi'an divorce appointment explosion. Um, and that, that was like a topic that was trending on social media, uh, during the time. And basically there's just like an unprecedented number of divorce requests, um, coming through the marriage registry offices. Um, in some ways, it's kind of the acceleration of broader trends, like divorce rates have been going up over the last 10 years, just because people don't, you know, they, they don't want to be stuck to someone they don't want to be with anymore. But definitely, um, I think a huge source of it was the pandemic and just like being cooped up with a partner and marital conflicts um, at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah, the famous divorce explosion. I love that it has a name. <laughs> yeah, so huge that it's been named. Um, and yeah, I think that like a, a more extreme kind of way in which, you know, marital conflict has, has panned out is, is just the rise of domestic violence, which I think that's also um, a worldwide phenomenon um, mm. in Hubei. Uh, a province where Wuhan is the kind of epicenter of the pandemic. I think, you know, reported cases increased something like threefold um, in Hong Kong, where I was during the majority of you know, the pandemic. Um, the uh, the you know, uh, cases at, at um, domestic violence prevention centers were, you know, quadrupled and, you know, the, the centers were all full. And so there's definitely um, a huge rate of rise in domestic violence, and then even just like tensions that are, uh, you know, less measurable, less extreme. Um, I think a lot of uh, conflict has arisen around, you know, this issue of burden of care um, with so many students no longer going to school. Um, someone's got to take care of the kids. And uh, they're typically is a gender imbalance in that. Um, and so I think one long-term kind of trend that we may see coming from a lot of the kind of marital tensions is uh, a, a kind of gender, uh, a, a deepening of gender inequality. Um, 
particularly because so much of the stress is financial um, and so much of the stress comes from layoffs and uh, so much of the layoffs come from the retail sector um, and uh, mostly, at least in Hong Kong and China, the retail sector is dominated by female workers. And so, um, you know, when, when families get hit, um, when uh, the economy gets hit, I think, you know, several scholars have mentioned that it will be women who feel the kind of disproportionate effect of that. I think you mentioned in your article mm-hmm. that there's actually a new law that there's a cooling off period required to apply for divorce. Yeah, yeah. There is like a 30 day uh, cooling off period um, that comes into effect next year. So January 1st, 2021. Um, and uh Basically, those who want to end their marriages have to um, wait for 30 days if, uh, if there isn't domestic violence involved. Um, it's just a way to discourage divorce. Um, I think you know, this idea of familial harmony is a really big part of Chinese uh, society. And if there's any way in which you can discourage the separation of families will do it. Um, it's, it's also a part of, kind of the way domestic violence is treated. There's a lot of emphasis on kind of like, instead of just like taking the issue to the courts or, you know, just ending the marriage, um, a lot of solution methods revolve around um, like mediation. And at, at a certain point, there's only so much one can do to mediate domestic violence. And so I think a lot of people have been complaining about that. Mm, Yeah, I appreciate you mentioning that because I know that that is something that is a concern pretty much everywhere in the world right now. And the United Nations has described it as the second Mm -hmm, shadow mm -hmm. pandemic, like the second catastrophe after the actual pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're only kind of beginning to understand the scope of that in the United States. Right now, we're kind of only seeing it on a local level, but I think as a, as the months and years go by, we'll start to truly understand the impact that that's had. Um, yeah, in your article, you talk about this concept of a digital divide and how that impacts relationships. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I think there are two cases in particular where I really noted a digital divide, and you know, as I was mentioning earlier phones and kind of like the ability to use a mobile phone has become has already been so crucial to Chinese life um in Chinese society and the pandemic has only made it even more crucial. Um as I was mentioning, for example, the health code is kind of your like digital stamp or passport. So like everywhere you go, it's a pretty important part of being able to go about your daily life, um, to call mm. a cab, to order a bowl of noodles you know, to pay your rent, like all of these things are done on your mobile phone. China is like a largely cashless society. And during the pandemic, it's become even more so like that. And so say you are, you know, an elderly person who um, has not used a phone for most of your life and not quite sure, you know, how to sign up for a health code or do all these things on your phone. Inevitably, you'll be affected. 
by these new measures and so many things will just not be within your access. Um, and so I think there's been a huge kind of um, effect on the elderly populations in China and, you know, add, it, add on the fact that uh, during the pandemic, um, older people have been, you know, are at disproportionate risk. Um, the families are kind of splintered and uh, elderly people are lonelier because their children can't come visit them in the same way that they could. Um, and this puts kind of this like extra burden of guilt on a lot of younger people because, you know, like visiting your parents is such a big, or just like being with your parents and respect for your parents is such a big part of Chinese culture. Um, and then you add on the one child policy and then, you know, you only have one child being able to care for, um, the elderly. And so that, um, oh, that's right. you know, compounds upon that too. Um, so that's one example of, you know, a, a division, a digital divide that has been, is exacerbated by the pandemic. Another is that, you know, when I was mentioning the kind of economic toil of the pandemic, it has disproportionately affected you know, migrant workers, um, those who are not white collar workers and can, you know, sit in office jobs and work from home. You know, this is definitely uh, an issue everywhere in the world. Um, but, you know, a lot of uh, uh, workers in the city, particularly Beijing, where I live now, come from elsewhere. They come from Hebei, they come from Shanxi. Um, they come from Sichuan and, you know, they, they support their families by sending money home through the, the jobs that they work in Beijing as, you know, delivery workers or house cleaners. And um, those jobs are just impossible to do during a mm. lockdown. And so um, those people who are working these jobs that potentially um you know, now have been affected by the pandemic, potentially in the future could be very quickly automated, um, I think reveals, you know, how, how, you know, developments now are going to continue to deepen that divide. Have there been any positive impacts on relationships as a result <laughs> of the pandemic? Yeah, yeah. I think these are, like, not as well researched, um, but, um, Certainly, there have been positive uh, effects. Most notably, I'd say, it's just families are spending a lot of time together now. Um, on the flip side of what I was mentioning about you know migrant workers not being able to send money home, they themselves are able to go home. Hmm. And so, you know, I've spoken to many people who, because they can't work in the cities anymore, have had to go back to their hometowns and spend a lot of time with their children who they ordinarily uh, would go without seeing for months, if not years. And so the kind of idea of spending quality time with family and strengthening those relationships with close friends and family have become more important, I'd say, post-pandemic. There are some, there is some research to, to show this. Um, but from the SARS era, so when Hong Kong went through SARS in 2003, some researchers saw, you know, like a spike in um, the people 
emphasizing the importance of their immediate and close relationships. Um, and in addition to that, during SARS, I think, or after SARS, a lot of people felt more strongly about focusing on their mental health and taking care of their mental health through taking care of their relationships. And we certainly see that in China today. Yeah, I was encouraged also by one thing that you mentioned in your article was that in addition to the demand for divorce, that also seems like maybe there's a demand for marriage licenses as well. Yeah, yeah. Like I didn't go as much into researching the kind of spike in marriages, but there certainly has been, from what I've heard, an increase in marriages, you know, couples accelerating their relationships, announcements of engagements, um, and also a baby boom, um, Hmm. like a COVID baby boom. Yeah, my mom keeps asking me about that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to dig around for some harder stats on that, but I think that's definitely, um, you know, something that's happening all around the world, if not also in China. Oh, thanks so much, Eileen, for having this conversation with me today. Thanks for having me, Erin. Thank you so much for chatting with us, Eileen. The Story Collider is so grateful to Eileen for sharing her knowledge and to Ali for sharing his story. The Story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast series is produced by me, Erin Barker, with assistance from StoryClider's Deputy Director Nissa Greenberg and Senior Podcast Editor Jun Chen. Special thanks goes out to StoryClider's board, our Operations Manager Lindsay Cooper, and our new Interim Executive Director Leslie Griesbach-Schultz, without whom none of this would be possible. Story featured in the first part of this episode was produced by Senior Producer Gastor Almonte. The theme music is by Eva Gertz of the Fulton Street Music Group. Stay tuned for two more stories in part two of Home on Monday. Until then, this is Story Collider signing off. Stay safe, wash your hands, wear a mask, love each other. Thanks for listening. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.